Hey, good morning. Good to be here, and if you're joining us online, welcome. We're, we're glad you're joining us, whether it's live or after the fact. We've been going through the book of Acts, and one of the things that I want to ask you, you know, you know when you think of churches, one of the things that's very apparent is they all have kind of a personality, right? When you think of a church, and if you know the church at all, you think it has a certain personality. It may be uh, personality-driven, like there's a pastor or somebody that kind of, that's kind of what defines the church is the person. And you could think of some famous pastors and churches. If I were to name the pastor, you would know the church, or if I were to name the church, you would know the pastor. And it's kind of a personality-driven type of a church. Or some churches are driven by the style, how they teach the Word of God, and kind of what, what preeminence that takes in the whole course of the worship service. Um, some churches are known for their worship. And you, you, you might listen to some of these churches, and, and all you do is you listen to their worship teams because they have great worship, and that's what defines them, their worship music, right? Or some are, are known, churches are known by their social action or community investment, that they're, they're like the church that's always doing stuff within the community. They're, that's what they're known for. Or some churches are just known because of their buildings, like they have these impressive structures, like, you know, St. Peter's Cathedral, right? And we have these churches that are, they're kind of known because they have the building, right? But I want to talk about Acts chapter 2, because we're moving through the book of Acts, and we're saying, so what, what is it that you look for in a church? The other question I'm going to ask you is this, what are you bringing to the church? And I think that's kind of where we want to go this, this, this uh, morning. So if you would, turn to Acts chapter 2. So Mark set us up last weekend. And uh, as you're turning to Acts chapter 2, we're going to pick it up at verse 14. Mark talked about the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That uh, the disciples were overwhelmed uh, by the Holy Spirit. That they began to speak in tongues. And the people around them heard in their, own, in their own ear, their own language. And it was an amazing thing. And we're going to see kind of the response of what happens uh, when, this, when this takes place on the day of Pentecost. Uh, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose it's only nine in the morning. So here's the thing. They're speaking in tongues. The Spirit of God has come upon them, and they're speaking in tongues in the languages of the people who have gathered in Jerusalem in, at the, in Pentecost for the celebration of Pentecost. And, and some of the crowd think they're drunk. But Peter says they're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. Uh, so that's not what's going on here. And he says what's going on here is that the Spirit of God has taken over them, and, and they are speaking the words of God in a, in a language they've never learned before. And you're hearing that. So, I'm going to jump over a portion of the passage because I don't have time to go through. It's like 50 verses, so I don't have time to go through that. But we're going to jump to the end. Uh, so, you jump down to verse 36. But I want to give you the, the gist of what Peter's saying in his sermon, in his message to the people. He essentially says this. He says, David was the, the king, uh, 
God promised to David that his kingdom would last forever. But David died. But there was somebody who came in the line of David. He is the one that they were looking for in Jesus' day. They were looking for a Messiah, this, this ultimate David that was going to come. And Peter's argument is, he has come, his name is Jesus. And Jesus died, David died, and he's dead. But Jesus died, but he's alive. He is the Messiah. That's his, that's his argument. So if you, could, if you could boil his sermon down, it goes like this. I got some good news and I got some bad news. The good news is the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, the promised, you know, ultimate David has come. That's the good news. Bad news is you crucified him. I mean, and that's essentially what Peter says. So now we see the response. So if you jump down to verse 36, you see the response. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Let me just stop for a minute and just talk about that phrase, repent and be baptized. It's very important because they're, they're not, it's not be baptized and then later on in your life repent. It's repent and then be baptized. This word repent means to do a 180, to turn. It, it, the idea is sometimes the word repentance is used in sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes. That it's, it's a mourning over your sin. It's taking responsibility for your sin. It's acknowledging, not blame shifting, not putting off on someone else, not making excuses, but saying, I'm a sinner and I've, 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 I've offended a holy God. And, and, and repentance means that I'm turning from that and I'm turning to God. Babies can't repent. Some of you were baptized when you were babies. And I know that's a church tradition that's strong in this community and other communities, but I just want you to see what Scripture says. Scripture says that people who repent are people who can understand they're sinners and they need a Savior. And the first step is you repent. You turn from the direction you're going, which is away from God, not towards God. You turn to God and you acknowledge your sin. You call upon Jesus. And once you do that, you are baptized. And it's an outward sign of your inward faith. But repentance always comes before baptism. It's always taught that way in Scripture. I just want to be clear about that. All right, so let's go on. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And his point is, just like us, you're going to get the indwelling Holy Spirit just like us. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off and for whom the Lord your God, our God will call. With many other words, he, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And now notice the response to his message. Like a Billy Graham crusade. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the church that day. They devoted themselves by the way, so people say we should go back to the practices of the early church. We should do church like the early church did church. And I will, I'm going to show you why, no, you don't want to do that. There's not a person in this room, there's not a person watching online 
that wants to go back and be like the early church. And I'll show that to you in just a minute. But notice the response to what Peter has said up to this point. Everyone was filled with an awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So we have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that's very apparent. The Spirit of God has fallen on this crowd. And it's very apparent that their miraculous things are taking place. Now notice what happened. Everyone was filled with all wonders for the signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. All right. There's the first reason why nobody wants to be like the early church. That's not your car. That's everyone's car. That's not your house. That's everyone's house. It's not your money. That's everyone's money, right? Now, notice how it goes a little further. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Anyone who want to sign up for that? I'll have a list after the service. All right, all right, let's go back to be like the early church. We want to pick and choose what we do, but we don't want to do it the way they did. Now, let me me go a little further. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. What's your schedule look like every day? Because we're going to meet every day now. Every day we're going to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then notice the sovereign hand of God behind all of this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. All right, we are not going to go back to be like the early church. The early church had problems. That's why we're going through the book of Acts. Because I want to show you there's no perfect church. The early church wasn't perfect. The early church had problems. They didn't understand the Gentiles were part of this new thing that God called his church. In fact, we we get to Acts 15 before they realize, yeah, I guess the Gentiles are in. Well, duh, he said that in verse 1-8, to all nations. So they struggled just like we do. They did things different than we do things. This isn't prescriptive. This isn't telling us how we should do it. It's describing what they did. And it's really, really important, especially in the book of Acts. And this is kind of what we call a hermeneutical principle. When we read historical narrative like we do in Acts and some of the Gospels and in the Old Testament, sometimes it's just telling you what happened. It's not meant to tell you what you should do. It's just saying what they did. And so it's not prescriptive. It's not telling you you should do this. It's descriptive, saying they did this. So that's why we don't do this, and that's why you wouldn't want to do this, because it's their time, their culture, the book, the scripture was written to them for us. Very big difference. All right? So, like I said, the early church was growing. It had growing pains. It wasn't perfect. It was figuring things out. And so, uh, we don't have to be like the early church. Now, there are some principles here that they absolutely have, and that's what I want to focus on. What was it that the early church, they got it, and, they were, and, and it, it is a pattern for us to follow. There's some certain things here. So what, it, what are the qualities of an Acts 2 church? We're in Acts chapter 2. So what are some of the qualities that, that, that this church, and any good church worth its weight, should do, all right, or should be involved in? Number one. They looked, they looked inward to the Holy Spirit. Uh, the early church 
um, depended upon the power and the presence of God. We see this all over, that there was an awe, that there was a, that you'll see the Spirit of God. There's going to be casting out demons. There's going to be, obviously, they're speaking in tongues. There's, there's ma- the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. There's the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit going on through all the book of Acts. We're going to see that. It's empowering those those who belong to Jesus. And that's essentially what Peter's sermon is. The Holy Spirit isn't just for us, it's for everyone. We're all in, we all have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Um, so that's the first thing. We have received the, po- the same power and presence of the indwelling Spirit that the early apostles did. Did you know that? That you have the same indwelling Holy Spirit? So Peter basically, his, his message is come and be filled. Come and be filled. And by the way, I know our charismatic brothers and sisters say that's a later blessing. It's not. The moment you have the, the you, you bow your knee to Jesus Christ and you call upon the Lord is the day the Spirit of God takes residence in your life. The Bible says he who has the Spirit has life. He who had, does not have the Spirit does not have life. You either have the Spirit or you don't. Okay? Now, Scripture tells us that we're to walk, and, and this is where, we, this is where we, we lose the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about this in Galatians. He says, you can either walk in the flesh, or you can keep in step with the Spirit. When you keep in step with the Spirit, you'll show the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, gentleness, peace, all, all the fruit of the Spirit, right? And then he talks about the fruit of the flesh. So you have to decide, are you going to keep in step with the Spirit? And that's why Paul says in Galatians 5, he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the, de- the, the desires of the flesh. So we use a phrase, we ripped it off from uh, other churches that use it because it was a good idea. And that is that we say, let God, or let the Spirit of God, take the wheel of your life. Who's, the question for you to ask is, who's driving your life? When you go through your life this week, or if you look back at your life this last week, who's been driving? Who's been at the wheel? Who, who, who's in control? All right? It, so that's the first one. They looked inward to the Holy Spirit. Secondly, they looked upward to Almighty God. There was awe and wonder. There was worship. There was acknowledging God. There was the power and presence of God. Um, we gather together, and this is our corporate worship time, right? We're gathering together, and we said, the church is not a building, it is a, is a movement, it is a group of people, it's a family. It's a, uh, it, it, so we gather to God for adoration, for praise, for teaching of God's word, for the breaking of bread, which we've just done. Mark led us through the breaking of bread, the time of communion. Um, we gather together and we do those things together as a body. And, and it's really important um, that we gather together and we have those moments of gathering together. And over the last 16 months, it's been really hard to gather together, right? But we tried to gather online, and some are gathering online with us right now or after the fact, they're going to gather. But it's not the same as being together, right? And that's what we, we, we do. We, we're called to come and worship, worship God. You know, it's interesting, um, and I've talked to talk to uh, people who lead us in worship and uh, we're our culture is this we go to a play and we watch the actors and the actors are the main deal right and we're the audience we watch the audience and we go in and we judge whether it was a good performance or not when we think about worship this is the mindset you should have when you gather in this place and we're worshiping 
Here's the mindset you should have. Not, was the band good? Did the pastor get his sermon right or not? And did he go too long? That, no, here's what you should be thinking about, okay? Here's what you, you are the actors. God is the audience. When you worship, you are giving praise to Almighty God. The Bible says that the, the, the trees clap their hands in praise of God. They, are, they know who the audience is. Nature knows who the audience is. It's not you, it's Him. And we are here to worship Him. We are here to lift Him up and to acknowledge Him and to praise Him. So we are gathered to worship. Now here's the thing. Everything you do in life is an act of worship. And what we have done in America, what we tend to do, and it's easy to do because we fall in these traps, is we've made worship a, a certain hour time uh, on the weekend, on a Sunday, or, you know, we used to have Saturdays, but on a Sunday at a certain hour, that's the, where we gather together for our hour of worship. And the le- rest of the week is secular. It's ours. But God would not allow that. See, worship is more than our weekly gatherings. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. All to the glory of God. Everything that you do. So when you walk out these doors or when you stop watching this video, you have to realize that the worship experience is not over. This is just part of the worship experience. Because at your job, at your school, in your neighborhood, in your family, whatever you do, you making a meal, changing a diaper, those are all to the, you can do it to the glory of God. It's an act of worship. In other words, there is no secular and there is no division between secular and sacred. It's all sacred, whether you know it or not. That's worship. In other words, the idea here is to see your worship as 24-7, 365. It doesn't just happen on the weekend. Uh, here's the third thing that we see. They looked outward to their neighbors. So there's a couple components here. The first one is evangelism. That the early church, it said that God added to their numbers daily. In other words, what was going on there? There was kind of this ongoing evangelism. There was this ongoing of sharing the good news. This is what the book of Acts is all about. It's where, where the Spirit of God takes the Word of God, the, He takes the message of the gospel, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to people who haven't heard it before. And, and, it, and it shares hope. And we'll see people coming to Christ in different people groups. First the Samaritans and the Gentiles. And so we're going to see this, this, is going, this wave of the gospel is going to go through the world. Uh, and that's what the book of Acts is all about. But we're given a message um, that we're to share good news with our spiritually lost world. Now, how do we do that? By meeting people where they are. Uh, you, you You know, our job isn't to win arguments. Our job isn't to just dump the truth and, and say, you know, do whatever you want. Uh, you're, you know, if you go to hell, I don't really care. Um, we, we, we use this, the phrase I like, and I see it in Scripture, is come and see. When Jesus was first gathering his disciples, remember one of the brothers went, and he got his brother, and he says, you got to come and meet this guy. He's something else. And of course, his brother was skeptic. You know, brothers are always skeptical of their brother. He's probably a younger brother or something, right? 
And, and, you know, you can correct me on that. I don't remember if he was older or younger. But he came and he says, well, I guess I'll go. But, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know if, what I think. And he went and had a, had a moment with Jesus. And he goes, wow, you are something. <laughs> and, uh, and all the brother did was, all, all he did was come and see. Come and see. And then you think of John chapter 4 where the woman's at the well and she meets Jesus, has this incredible conversation with Jesus and, and then she, goes, she runs back to the, to the village and uh, she brings basically all of her neighbors out. She's got to meet this guy. He's unbelievable. I, I had this incredible conversation. He told me things that, that, that nobody would know. And they came out. All the people came out, and they were there for, with Jesus for a while. And they said, you know, we came out because of you, but now we believe because we have heard and we have seen, and, and our hearts, you know, we, we get it now. We see it now. And, and that's really what it comes down to. The phrase I like to use is we're just beggars who are spiritually hungry. I, I don't know where you're at today. Maybe, maybe you're watching. Maybe you're, you're in this audience right now. And your heart is hungry, it's empty, it's lonely. And you've tried a lot of things. you tried relationships, you tried just being busy and doing all those things. But there's an emptiness in your heart. And the only thing that will fill your heart is Jesus who says, I am the bread that brings life. I'm the bread of life. And all I see myself as is somebody who had a hungry heart. An empty heart, a heart that needed to be filled. And Jesus, who is the bread of life, came and filled my heart. And all I want to say to people is, I can tell you where my heart found fullness, found filling, found the bread. And, you, and I could direct you to that person, and you can go, and he will give you bread that will last for eternity. He will fill your heart for eternity. And if that's what you want, the answer is Jesus. And it's as simple as that. Because only Jesus could quench your thirst, woman at the well. Only Jesus can give you bread because he's the bread of life. And that's what we do. We invite people. And, and the phrase that I love using um, is we help people take one step closer to Jesus. So who is it in your sphere of influence, people that you know, people that you love, people you care about, maybe people that you don't know, strangers, that, that you can help them take one step closer to Jesus? You don't have to win arguments. You don't have to get them to believe every doctrine that you believe. You just say, hey, I found bread. Come and see. Come and see. Here's the second thing uh, in this area of thinking of others. Fellowship. You know, the Bible says that when we come to Jesus, not only do we get the indwelling Holy Spirit, but we get a, get a family, that we're part of a community, that we're connected because of Jesus Christ. That somebody, did you know this? This is an amazing thing. If you've ever traveled and you've been in other Christian environments, in other countries, in other cultures, it's an amazing thing. You feel like you share something with that person, even though you don't share the culture and you don't share the language. You know there's some sort of a spiritual connection with them because they get Jesus just like you do. And it's like, oh man, this is wild. Um, but Jesus calls us to love and to care for one another. 
The writer of Hebrews says this, let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good, good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. The day approaching means the coming of the Lord, that, that Jesus is coming back, and all the more reason why we need to gather together and bear one another's burdens and encourage one another. And by the way, you can't really do that when you're in rows facing forward. The best way to happen is when you're sitting in a circle with friends, people who know your names, people who know you. And that's why we want to try to get as many people as possible, if you're interested, into what we call life groups, small groups, 8 to 12 people that meet on a regular basis. We're taking a break over until this, the fall, but but the idea is you know their names, you know their kids, you pray for one another, you bear one of those burdens, you, you love one another. And that's such an important thing. And the idea is there is that we come and belong. Some of you have been part of, of hope for, for years and you've kind of been on the outside edge. And you've never taken that step of belonging, committing. But God made you to be part of community, to belong. And that's how you grow. You, you join in. We're called to love and serve one another. Jesus gave us the incredible example of how we're to serve one another by giving our time, our talent, and our treasure for one another. This is what the early church is demonstrating, where they're selling their possessions, they're seeing the needs of others, they're reaching out, they're gathering together, they're breaking the, 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 the bread, they're doing the Lord's table. They had what they call in those days love feasts. You read about them in, in, in uh, Corinthians. Essentially what they're doing is they would gather in small gatherings, they would have a meal together, and they would the crescendo of the meal, would they would celebrate communion together. Because they, had this, they shared this, this oneness they had with Jesus Christ. Galatians 6.2 says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Here's the point. It's not about me. It's about we. You know, in American Christianity, it's about me and Jesus. Jesus and me. You know, talk, and you know, books are written. How do I grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, let me tell you something. You will never grow to the level that you should be in your relationship with Jesus Christ alone. It will only be through community. It will only be when you're joined with others that help you grow. You cannot do it alone. You can only grow within community the way God wants you to. It's not about you and Jesus. It's about us, the church, the body of Christ. Here's the last one, serving. We're called to leverage our resources so that we can uh, serve our neighbors and demonstrate social concern and compassion, that we're to care for the poor, we're to see the needs around us, we're to love our community, we're to serve our community, we're to be a church that, that has an outreach in a sense that our goal is to make our community better, to, to help those that we can help and leverage the resources we have. Um, we have gifts and abilities and resources to serve the needy and, in our sphere of influence. Uh, we, 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 the phrase is, we come and we serve. We've come to serve, right? Because that's what Jesus did. He was the greatest example of a servant, right? And, and he says, I want you to serve like I serve. I want you to see like I see. I want you to take care of the poor. And I love this verse. This is uh, from uh, Matthew chapter 25, and it says this, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was 
uh, a stranger and you, get, you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And, and then it says, then the faithful would say, well, Lord, when do we do that? I don't remember that. And he says, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You see what he's saying here? It's really important that we hear this, church. This is what he's saying. He's saying that we have a responsibility. You, you, every one of us has what I call a sphere of influence. We have people in our lives that God brings, maybe it's our family, maybe it's our friends, people we go to school with, people we work with, our neighbors. It could be perfect strangers, people that we've never met before. And for some period of time, God brings them and our, our kind of arcs come together. But ever, I believe, and I really, and I, I've been saying this, and you maybe if you've been around for a little bit for the last you know, month or so, you've heard me say this, that I believe that God has divine appointments for your calendar this week. Conversations, words of encouragement, maybe tangible things you can do to help somebody because they need help. But God has these divine appointments and this is what he's talking about. I was in prison. I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was, you met a need, and, and we get to heaven, and he says, you, when you did this for them, you did it for me. You, 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 you saw the divine appointment, and you kept my divine appointment. And I believe this is where we're falling down sometimes in our lives, that we miss the divine appointments that God has set before us. Words of encouragement. Just things that we can, tangible things that we can do to help people. Um, just to be aware and say, Spirit of God, help me today to be aware of the, I have my calendar here, I have my phone here, it tells me all my appointments, it tells me my schedule this week, but help me to be aware of the divine appointments that you bring before me, okay? So that's what we're talking about. And here's the thing, some people would look at me and say, oh, Pastor Matt, he's the minister, yeah, you know what? That's not helpful. Uh, because though I'm a minister, guess what? You are too. That's the priesthood of the believer. That we're all ministers. Every member is a minister. Every person who knows Jesus Christ, who has the indwelling Holy Spirit, is a minister. We are all called to serve. The picture he uses is the body of Christ. Eyes, ears, arms, hands, legs, you know, uh, all those things. And, and to say, oh, well, we only have one minister and it's an ear. <laughs> oh, we got a problem as a body, don't we? <laughs> right? Or we only have two eyes and nothing else. Okay. That's not helpful. So we're all part of this. We're all ministers. We all bring something to the table. And so every minister is a member. All right. Last thing. Don't go to church. Be the church. This, this room is not a, a church building. This building is not a church building. We are the church. The church is gathered. The church is gathering online right now. Um, so I did a, an online survey uh, on my chat with Matt on Facebook, and I asked people, give me two or three qualities of what you think are really important in a church. So here's what were the top things that came out. Strong biblical teaching, friendliness, small groups, God and leadership, promotes spiritual growth, outward focus, good list great list. Um, and we understand that church is not a building, it's a community. 
It's a community of faith, people who love Jesus, imperfect people, of course, but forgiven, um, striving to serve the Lord, trying, trying to, to serve one another. Uh, but here's the question I want to close with. Instead of asking, because we often do this, what, can the ch- what does the church bring? Does it have a good children's program, good youth program, good preaching, good music? Does it have all? You should ask those questions, okay? But let's get beyond that and say, maybe the question we want to ask is this. Here it is. How is your presence making Hope Church a more caring and powerful, spirit-filled influence for the gospel in our community? How are you making a difference in this church? Because you're not the audience. He's the audience. And yes, we've come to worship Him, but we've also come to serve one another and to serve our community. And you know what? It takes more than one or two or three or four ministers to do that. It takes all of us to do that. We're all called to serve, every one of us. And we'll all be held accountable for that. So, how can you make this church better? By using your gifts, your abilities, your talents to serve this church and this church community and and this community with the divine appointments that God gives you and the abilities that God gives you, just like what the early church did. And they rocked the world. So let's rock the world. Let's rock the community. Let's be the church that God's called us to be. We'll have our own kind of quirks to it, but let's be the church that God has called us to be. Now we know what we need to be focused on. Now we know what's important. Let's do that. Let's be that church. So would you stand with me and let me pray with you as we close our time? A couple quick announcements. Number one, tonight we're having a night of worship where we're just going to just praise God and acknowledge God. And we're going to gather together here at 7. If you want to come, we'd love to have you come and join us. We'll we'll obviously cast it online. Secondly, um, we're having a special outdoor July 4th service at the Arboretum. And uh, it's going to be a great time of worship. On the 4th of July, we've never done that before. It'll be great. It's going to be, I'm excited about it. But here's what's going to happen. After the 4th of July, we're going down to two services because we feel one of the things we got back from the survey was this. They, people said, the services are too short, they're too quick, they feel like they're rushed. And they are, I'll be honest with you. But it was kind of our transition that we had to do because of Roshek and other things. So we're moving to two services where we can have more time, spend more time focusing on worship, focusing on the Word, and just gathering together. So that's going to happen after that uh, July 4th service. So just so you know, uh, we heard, and this was meant to be temporary, but thank you for being uh, patient with uh, the leadership here. I want to lead you in prayer, Father. Thank you for bringing us together as your church. And as your church leaves this place, help us to be the church you've called us to be. Father, may the Spirit of God take something, maybe one or two things from this message to our hearts to help us to be uh, more effective in the role that you've called us to play here in this community. I pray that you would be glorified in our lives this week. Help us to be aware of your Holy Spirit. Help us to keep in step with the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Help us to be aware of those divine appointments you have set before us. 
Father, we love you because you first loved us. We give you all praise and honor and thanks. In the awesome name of Jesus Christ, amen.